Coming up, a conversation with Roland Rainey, candidate for at-large Colorado Springs City Councilor. This is 6035 Media. Casting an informed vote is your right and your duty as a citizen. I'm Brian Grossman, executive editor at 6035. And I'm Shelley Roars, spokesperson for the League of Women Voters at the Pikes Peak region. We're teaming up to bring you conversations with the candidates in the April 2023 Colorado Springs City election. So this interview is both an episode of the new 6035 Vote podcast. And the League's Making Democracy Work podcast. So let's get to it. So Roland, we just wouldn't mind opening up with just a little bit about yourself. Tell our listeners, you know, kind of who you are and why you're here. Okay. Well, first off, thank you very much for having me here today. I'm pretty excited, uh, not just to be here, but to actually get the message out to the voters on why I believe I'm a great candidate for them to go out and vote for. So a little bit about myself. Uh, right now, I'm a retired Air Force veteran, 26 and a half years in the military. Was a started out enlisted, then became an officer through the ROTC program at Colorado State University. So right up the road there in Fort Collins. That's why I graduated in 2003. Um, from there, um, combat veteran also did some time in Bagram, Afghanistan. But in parallel, ironically, throughout my military career, I've also had a variation of other activities. Uh, I was an entrepreneur. I started my own business right here in Colorado Springs. Also taught political science, international relations off duty. So I would do my military work during the day. And then at night, I would actually go teach at Colorado State University Pueblo. There was a campus right here in town, uh, continuing education, where I taught uh, political science and international relations. Uh, Big time volunteer here in the Springs. I'm currently on the board of directors for the Colorado Springs World Affairs Council. I'm on the board of directors for Banning Lewis Academy School Board. also, I was the vice chair for the El Paso County Citizens Outreach Group, working with the county fair and so forth, and uh, also as a commissioner on the uh, judicial um, nominating commission also. So as you can tell, I'm very well versed in the city, uh, understanding all the intricate pieces of it, uh, but more importantly, just getting the word out to listening to the citizens, right? Getting my word out, my message on why I think I'm a valuable candidate, but also listening to their concerns. Because at the end of the day, that's what it all boils down to, is what are they concerned about? What is going to help them in their quality of life? Um, Been living here 14 plus years. Uh, I can tell you, I I love this place. The outdoors, I'm a big time fisherman. I love fishing. I love camping and ATVing. So I'm an outdoorsy guy. So, I mean, every aspect about me is Colorado Springs. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Uh, Roland, we'll get to some specific questions. First one has to do with development and water. Uh, What's your stand on the 128% water rule for extending water and other utilities to flagpole annex developments? Yeah, so this question, uh, thank you very much for that one. And this one is huge, right? This is something that's the hot button right now. It's the hot topic uh, because we're trying to figure out from a future standpoint with the growth of our city uh, at the exponential rate that it is growing, you know, do we have enough water to supply us for future on ends? Uh, when I look at the 128 that uh, – uh, city Council recently voted on, and because it is going to be a change in ordinance, that requires a second vote. Uh, with that being said, 
I, I actually think this is the right direction to go in. And the reason why is beforehand, uh, before annexing any type of land, there was no specified, I guess you can say, a uh, number, a specified mm-hmm. number on what type of utilities are required, what type of level of water is required. So at least identifying before annexing anything, hey, this is the number that we're hoping uh, is going to be in this arena, Mm -hmm. I think is a great thing. Um, I think it gives us an opportunity to peel back the onion to make sure that whatever we're investing in, it's something that's going to benefit the city for years on end. Um, but I think this water conversation is just not there. And, and that's something else during my campaign you're going to hear a lot about. It's not just about uh, putting restrictions in place or identifying a specific number. we got to start looking at other second and third order effects when it comes to water. Uh, of course, there's another significant uh, endeavor that includes uh, potentially one of the largest in decades trans diversion of water uh, in the mountain region, specifically Eagle County to Aurora and Colorado Springs, where are we at on that right now? Is that something that we need to uh, maybe put a little bit more investment into, maybe a little bit more research into? Also, there is an entire endeavor right now to do another transversion of water to Lake Powell and Lake Mead. Now, I understand the reason behind that, and that is because those two arenas are really huge for hydroelectricity uh, that, you know, extends power to millions of homes. Mm -hmm. However, the drought that we're in, the issues that we're facing right now here in Colorado and Colorado Springs, when it comes to water, what does that look like for us? You know, are we going to be, I guess, subject and almost hurting ourselves by uh, transversing water more out of the state than into our arena? So I, I think oftentimes when we talk about water, we're looking at the here and now, but what I would like us to do is look at the second and third order effects. And I think the current city council did a great step forward by putting a uh, task force in place um, to really start looking at the issue in a more in-depth manner and not just on the surface. Okay. Thank you. Shelly? Yes, sir. So my question also is about water. It's kind of a big issue. Um, and you may have already kind of answered it with your previous one on my second part, but it's two-prong. We waste a lot of water with regards to landscaping in three ways. We can waste it at a resort with a broken sprinkler that doesn't get fixed for multiple days or a golf course that just needs that beautiful green grass that's city-owned, right? Or, um, or in the instance of my neighbor who decides to plant Kentucky bluegrass, right? Um, a lot of water, 78% is wasted. How can we do better with that? with regards to in that aspect. And then also, should the city consider extending water and or utilities that to subdivisions that are located outside the city um, that might never be annexed, um, but being as part of that regional water provider, should we look at that kind of a plan? And what, how would you look at that? Oh, great question. So to answer the first part of your question, uh, I think it goes back to education. Um, oftentimes when we put or even start looking at water restrictions uh, because of the neighbor who plants the Kentucky, you know, bluegrass or, you know, the uh, extra amount of water utilized maybe at a golf course or whatever have you, you know, what are the economic, you know, impacts there? Uh, I think that's one aspect. I think education is another aspect. But also, you know, are we providing any incentives for folks to 
maybe do a different style of landscaping that does not require a lot of water usage. Um, I'm starting to see a little bit of that around town where a lot of folks are not putting down sod anymore. They're landscaping their yards to, you know, look more, uh, I hate to say deserty, but a lot of rock formations, uh, a lot of soil formations, not necessarily a lot of sod. So I think some folks are moving themselves in that direction. But we just have to help. We have to help the citizens through education, but also making sure that we're providing incentives for folks to go in that direction also. The second part of your question, when you talk about annexing, I think one of the biggest things that we have to really look at is what's the economic impact? Any um, land that we're looking at annexing, does it have the support that's required? Does it already have utility support structure already in place? And if it doesn't, what is it going to require from an infrastructure investment standpoint? Uh, when you start looking at those things, then I think a better decision can be made. Uh, when you're looking at any part of, especially on the water side of the front, if you start annexing or at least extending water out to those areas that have not been annexed or maybe might be considered to be annexed in the future, well, what is the current infrastructure that's going to require that let's say piping um, to go out to those areas. Is there going to be any type of renovation that's going to be required? Is there going to be any type of updates on the actual uh, plumbing itself to go out to that region? And if there is, who's going to pay for that? Is that going to be levied on the citizens? And I don't think we want to do that. I don't think we want to put another tax or anything on our citizens um, just to annex or have the ideal of potentially annexing something in the future that may not even come to fruition. So that's something that we have to really consider and take a look at is before we even think about going that direction, what's going to be the economic impact? What's going to be the investment impact? And is there a timeline associated with it? Because that's one thing we don't want to do is continually pour in money over years to something that may not ever get annexed. In. Yes, sir. Yeah. Thank you very much. Right. Uh, Roland, this question is a private property rights question. Where do you stand on accessory dwelling units being allowed in single-family residential areas? So that one is a hot topic also because I think on the surface, when people tend to look at or think about ADUs, mm -hmm. they think about, well, hey, someone is going to build an extension onto their property, and that's going to make you know the neighborhood look awful or potentially do something to property value. I look at it differently. What I'm looking at is there's a lot of families here that are struggling because of inflation. Could that extra rent help when you're talking about, you know, maybe an attic or a basement or maybe you do have some type of attached garage that you can turn into a living establishment? Can you actually earn any money off of that to put money in your pockets? Also, there's families here in the Springs, and I talked about this actually last night. You know, I would like to see families thrive right here in Colorado Springs and not move away or not move out of the state. But in order to do that, sometimes families love to live as a unit. Um, so that generational build of a family unit, sometimes that helps with ADUs. So ADUs are not a, a bad thing. It's right now where we're currently at. I mean, of course, uh, affordable housing is another issue. And 
for some family members that can't uh, afford to get out and get their own apartments and maybe need to stay with mom and dad or whomever uh, for an extended period of time, maybe they can rent out those ADUs. So I think there's benefits there before we immediately start talking about, you know, what it may do to the uh, the optics of a, a neighborhood. And from what I've seen so far, um, because we've got great citizens here, some of the ADUs or some of the attached units that I've seen, uh, they are beautiful. I mean, they don't look run down or people really take the time to invest because I think the people here in the city also understand what it means to have great property value. So I think we have to make sure that we don't just stovepipe that topic, that we look at both sides on that one and look at the benefits, especially in this inflationary time. Thanks. Shelly. Yes, sir. Um, so my question also about housing. I live over on the west side, corner of close to Fillmore and Centennial. Right, oh, yeah. we got some new places going in that are average four hundred to five hundred thousand for a townhome. Right. Um, so, how do you propose to address the city's affordable housing crisis, or some in some instances, affordable housing attainability? Yes. Um, whether you call it a crisis or attainability, right, it is still an issue, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I would say right out of the gate on affordable housing, I, I definitely understand that costs are rising. But I also want to make sure that there's a clear understanding uh, this is not one person in the city who made the decision or one developer who made the decision that, oh, I'm going to raise all the prices. The answer to that is no. This is a market-driven issue. This is not a Colorado Springs issue or a Denver issue or a specific city issue. This is a market-driven issue. Now, right here in Colorado Springs, we actually have uh, entities to help build affordable housing, and that goes through the HUD. Uh, the HUD have... Uh, mechanisms in place to work with developers to actually build affordable housing. So uh, I think that mechanism is already in place. They will continue to do great work to get us to affordable housing. But I want to make sure that we all understand that this is really a market driven issue, not, you know, one individual who might be driving uh, a particular price. Okay, thank you. Uh, Roland Public Safety, uh, CSPD, Colorado Springs Police Department, is short, uh, depending on the numbers you look at, anywhere from 50 to 100 officers from authorized strength, um, all while crime and traffic fatalities are on the rise. What would you do about public safety and specifically the police department? I am so happy you asked that question because that's, not, that's my number one platform topic. And the reason why it's important not just to me, but to our citizens, is because when you look at the crime rate here in Colorado Springs, I often hear this comment all the time, this place doesn't look the way it used to look. Mm -hmm. Well, when you look at population growth, when you start looking at a culmination of things that have led to us having a manpower issue at CSPD. Mm -hmm. So let's, for the, for the audience out there, let's culminate that for a second. So initially, we have here in Colorado police reform bill that's passed. And in many aspects of it, doesn't necessarily give the protections to our police officers that they need to go out and get the job done on our behalf so we can live safely in our neighborhoods. Then we have a local shooting, the Devon shooting. Mm -hmm. Then on top of that, you have George Floyd murder and protests all across this nation to also include Colorado Springs. You have jail realignment. 
and then you throw COVID on top of all of that. That all happened in a three to four year span. Mm -hmm. And if you don't put support behind our police officers and you don't give them the protections they need to go out and get the job done, just like anyone else, if I was working with you in a job and you're my boss and you're not showing me the support that I need to have to get the job done, what do you think I'm going to do? Probably going to go out and start looking for new employment. And that's what a lot of uh, law enforcement members did. They left the police force. Either they left Colorado Springs and went elsewhere, or they actually left law enforcement as a total and now looking for other careers because our local government, when they see that, they're looking for someone to have their back, support them in order to get the job done. And that's something that we have to really look at is, you know, I keep hearing, oh, we have a recruiting issue. It's not necessarily we're having a recruitment issue. It's a culmination of things that led to a population of professionals to think, I don't want to be in this profession anymore because I don't have the support I need to be effective in it. Mm -hmm. So I think it's more of a messaging that we have to do. When we're talking about recruits, uh, when we're talking about folks in the police academy, we have to ensure them as long as they're doing a job 100 percent to the letter of the law. They're always going to have our back. They should never have to go out fearing whether or not their supervisor or someone in their local government is going to leave them out on the whims um, because they're trying to keep, you know, something in the political lanes. We have to make sure that they have that support. A couple of things I have on my agenda that I would love to see happen. Um, I think we're doing a good job. I think the chief of police uh, is taking the necessary actions to make sure that we have more police academies throughout the year. Uh, But I think we also got to look at going out and having conversations at colleges, having conversations at military installations with military police and law enforcement out there, uh, making sure that uh, for job fairs, that we're really putting a good effort, community security uh, units, mm-hmm. putting a good effort out there to actually bring in great folks to get the job done on our behalf because safety in this city is of the utmost importance. Our homicide rates, if you go back and look from 2001 to 2013 till now, homicide rates are just astronomical compared to where they were basically single digits, you know, maybe a decade ago. Uh, Also, car thefts. We're leading the nation in car thefts. Let's put that into perspective. We're leading the nation in car thefts. That makes no sense. And some of the rules that we currently have in place protects the criminal instead of putting them behind bars where they really need to be. So when I look at those type of things, uh, this is not who we are as Colorado Springs. Uh, This is not who we are as a community. This is not who we are as people. And it's definitely not who we are as a city. So let's make sure we put the support behind our public safety individuals, especially CSPD. I mean, right now their authorized in strength is 821. They're operating right now somewhere in the neighborhood of 770 plus. Um, That's not going to get it done. It's minimal manning, basically. And and when I say minimal manning, you know, I personally look at it uh, in, in a different light because you're talking about officers on shifts, mm-hmm. you know, on day shifts, on swing shifts, on mid shifts. So that number that you think is like, oh, we have enough. No, we actually don't. When you start looking at it from a shift perspective and how many officers we actually have out on our streets. But I also want to make sure I make this point very clear to the audience. Public safety is huge. 
And I know oftentimes the counter argument to this conversation is we don't need more police officers. We need more mental health. This is not an or conversation. It's an and conversation. It's a we need more officers to give us the safety we need to live the life, the quality of life that we all want here in Colorado Springs. But, yes, there are some folks out there that suffer with mental health, drug abuse, uh, broken and fractured families that do need mental health also, uh, mental health uh, services and therapy. So, yes, it's an and, not just an R. Thanks. Charlie? And that kind of takes us into our next question, really, because this is kind of a, a portion of this population is um, suffering from mental health issues. Um, how would you address our city's um, our homeless issue? Right. Homelessness. I, I want to make sure that we all understand homelessness is, is running rampant here in Colorado Springs. Uh, we see it throughout the years. It has grown. It has fluctuated. And you're absolutely right. Uh, we've had you know members on the street that are suffering from mental illness, drug abuse, as I mentioned before, fractured families. But I also want to make sure that people understand this is a community issue. Oftentimes, we want to point the finger at CSPD and say, oh, you're not doing enough to eradicate homelessness. Homelessness is not a law enforcement issue. It's a community issue. So what I would like to see is a lot of our community organizations, uh, different shelters, different uh, nonprofit organizations come together. And whether that is a task force with sub uh, subsections, to go out and figure out ways on how to address these members that are on the street. Uh, look, there are there are some of our veterans that are on the street, and I, and I can tell you right now, as a military veteran myself, that is something I'm definitely not going to stand for. But I do know that there are some folks that make the decision on their own to be homeless. Mm-hmm. But that's not just the, the full picture, right? There are people that come from very fractured homes, abusive homes, where they can't go to another family member. So they find them, find them lives on the streets. And that's something that we have to really look at. Um, but I think this is not a CSPD issue to eradicate for us. This is a community issue. And I would like to see a citywide task force of nonprofits, uh, the Mission Shelter, to come together and actually start really peeling back the onion on what type of services we can provide and what type of activities we can put in place to reach some of these homeless members. So I'm kind of a follow-up to that because you said rampant. When I think rampant, right, um, I think we're the 42nd largest city in the the United States, pretty close to that. there's a lot of cities that have rampant homelessness issues, so we we aren't really probably doing what we should in that instance, I guess. But um, and dealing with community organizations, and if it's a community issue, then I think we as a community um, need to step up to the plate a bit more. Um, I guess from a uh, not just not just um, time and assistance, but compassion and empathy for those that are in that situation because there are some that are mental health, there are some that are veterans with PTSD, there are some that are kicked out of their home because of their chosen lifestyles um, for whatever reason. So I think from a um, a compassionate community perspective, that would be just kind of my two cents on that. But No, you're absolutely right. Uh, And I made the comment earlier, when I look at our citizens, when I look at this city, we're a phenomenal city. We're a great city. And we have to make sure that 
that any action that we take is reflective of that. And going back to compassion, going back to providing services, uh, pulling community resources together to show that this is a community effort moving forward and not just one entity trying to solve a massive issue. Um, as you mentioned, this is a problem across our nation. Um, but here in Colorado Springs, I know we have the resources and I know we have the right people and the right talent to pull together to actually find a resolution or at least a pathway uh, to look at, you know, how can we better serve that particular community and get them out of homelessness and put them on a path where they can live the life that we have promised a lot of Americans in this country. Thank you, sir. Uh, Roland, if you're elected, do you foresee asking voters for any tax increases or new fees? No and no. <laughs> I don't believe there's a reason to. Right now, I think our budget is in a great place. Um, so it's more about really looking at our budget and finding out, you know, is there places, non-essential functions that we're maybe putting money towards that we don't need to, that we can maybe reallocate? Oftentimes when people talk about budget and taxes and raising taxes, um, I think one of the things that we have to make sure we step back and look at is, are we putting money in the right places? And if we are, great. But if there are areas that we can actually reallocate, um, then I think we're the better for it. So oftentimes, I think it's more of an allocation issue than it is a, you know, whether we need, you know, a raise in taxes or not. So you're hearing it directly from me. If I'm on city council, and I should rephrase that when I'm on city council, um, no, I would not be advocating for any type of tax raise. Okay. Uh, running out of time, so I'll pass it over to Shelley for the last couple questions. Thanks, so um, reallocation of funds, right? One easy way we think is um, possibly to um, move our spring municipal elections that you're currently in the middle of to the fall, whether that's during a school board election year, like an off year, or, you know, a bigger year, 20, you know, your even numbered years, which would help increase voter turnout and in those years that they do have an election, save approximately $600,000 a year. So one, what are your thoughts on moving it from the spring to the fall? That's the first question. And running for city council, you understand your pay is $6,250 a year, <laughs> plus some extra money for when you go to events and you know extra education, things like that right. around the state and wherever you need to go to do your job. Um, what are your thoughts on raising that pay to a reasonable amount that is inclusive of others who do not have the ability to do this as their only job, like retirees? Thank you for that question. Uh, to go to the first part, um, I, I'm very open-minded to the idea of potentially moving the election. Uh, even this particular election, if you look at over the last seven months, you know, we come out of uh, a general election. You go into the holiday season, mm -hmm. and immediately right after the holiday season, we're right into another uh, turn of uh, elections, right? And to to galvanize, to grab people's attention, because who you elect and who you bubble in on the ballot means something. Your voice and your vote means something, and you should cherish that. That's a, one of our principles here in this nation is the ability to vote and cherishing that. Um, so I, I think I would be very open-minded to looking at how can we better capture folks 
uh, attention and get mass participation. Uh, one of the things I do fear with lo- local elections, municipal elections, is that you don't get that huge turnout that you really would love to have and get the attention of the citizens that you really would love to have. Uh, with that being said, I would definitely be open-minded to that. To your second uh, part of the question, uh, I am definitely for potentially finding a nice uh, number uh, to pay city council members. To your very point, right now you look at $6,000. That's basically a stipend. That's not a pay. Uh, It's a stipend. Uh, when you look at, you know, county commissioners or even the mayor's pay, you know, they get paid well for, to do their job. With city council, um, I think one of the things we have to really look at is if you want a council that is representative of who you are, uh, someone who comes in with a variation of ideas, someone who comes in with some unique perspective, then most of those folks are probably in the prime of their careers, middle age, and not retired. Now, I consider myself an anomaly. I'm 47 years old. I'm retired out of the Air Force, but I got a tremendous amount of energy and a tremendous amount of bandwidth to get this done. Yes, I do have a full-time job right now. Uh, I'm a strategic uh, business developer. But with that being said, I still dedicate a lot of time to boards and commissions around the city while also running for city council. I think if you actually have someone like me who's going to dedicate that type of time and effort, they should be compensated for it also. And to pay someone $6,000 as a stipend, uh, while it's a great thank you, um, when you look at the amount, the extraordinary amount of time that you place on different boards, being on a council, you're assigned, of course, to the Colorado Springs Utilities Board. You're assigned to be a liaison to various boards across the city. It's a lot of time. So I think too often some folks may get confused at our city council. They meet, you know, the second and fourth, you know, Tuesday month, and that's it. Mm-hmm. No, it's definitely not it. That's just regular session. That does not include work sessions. That doesn't include being a part or a liaison to other boards and commissions out there. Um, so I, I would be, a, con, you know, your constituents' requests for needs in the community. Yes, right. So I mean, it's a lot of work. Responding to emails and right. meeting with folks and, and going to their place uh, of work or them coming to your office. It's right. a lot of time and commitment. So I, I do believe we should really take a hard look at that. And I don't believe the citizens would be. Um, I don't believe the citizens would see something misappropriated by that. I think what they will see is that people that are working hard on their behalf are also being compensated simultaneously. Thank you. And back to your spring elections. We're competing against March Madness. I mean, come on, you're a sports guy. <laughs> you know that well, that's your competition, why we get so low. That's my theory, just a Shelley theory. Oh, <laughs> but, okay. Uh, you know. uh, yes, Roland, sir. we're uh, just about out of time. You want to take the last minute or two and wrap up and let voters know why they should vote for you? Well, no, thank you for that. Uh, And thank you for your time and allowing me to uh, interact with you today. Um, The one thing I would tell uh, folks out there is these are some unique times. Uh, We've already talked about it. We have water supply issues. We have a a manpower issue with CSPD that we really need to tackle and get at. So you can live the quality of life that you need to live with your family and your community so you can feel safe and your kids can feel safe going to school and you going to work and and having a great neighborhood. Uh, Also, I I really want us to start looking at tech 
job opportunities. I want to have an initiative of a Colorado Springs Tech Job Corps. I, I want us to have these big companies come in to look at our citizens and provide them the advanced knowledge and education so we can provide a pipeline of employees to those companies. So those companies will be investing in the Springs and in reverse, what are we giving them back? We're giving them a steady stream of competent, well-educated employees to go in to get the job done. Uh, I think this council is definitely uh, in need of some fresh eyes, some fresh perspective, some renewed energy. Uh, and I think I'm the candidate to do that. Um, I think, once again, it's the city's responsibility to make sure that we are helping citizens have the best quality of life that they possibly can, that they have safe neighborhoods, and that they can thrive and grow their families right here in Colorado Springs. So for me, I look at it as this is our city. It's their future, but it's my priority. So I think right now, this is the right time. Colorado Springs is definitely the right place, and I'm the right choice for city council. Thank you, Roland. And you've been watching or listening to a joint podcast effort of 6035 Media and the League of Women Voters of the Pikes Peak Region. Be sure to follow Making Democracy Work and check out lwvppr.org for more information regarding our candidate forums in March. And stay with 6035 Vote to make sure your vote is an informed one. This podcast is produced by Dave Gardner, video directed by Nick Raven. I'm Brian Grossman, executive editor. And I'm Shelley Roars, spokesperson for the League of Women Voters. See you next time. Hi, I'm Dave Gardner. And I'm Nick Raven. We're the podcast producers here at 6035 Media. 6035 Vote is just one of a growing family of hyperlocal podcasts that we're creating. And these are for you, someone who wants to engage fully in your community. We've got the 6035, which is a quick, lively recap of the top news stories of the week. It's my favorite. It's really great and often funny. I love having you as a guest, actually. I do, too. And then we have Hot Takes and Stream Breaks, which is a potpourri of news and commentary about movies, gaming, TV, streaming, and just so much more. It's for youthful heart and you know, that could be anyone, really. Yeah, I'm surprised I even really enjoy it because Nick hosts that and uh, he's, he's witty. Well, and the cool thing is that you can watch both of these podcasts on YouTube. Or you can listen to them on the go in your favorite podcast app. And there's a couple more, uh, but you can also visit 6035media.org slash podcast to see them, browse them, sample them. And then subscribe to the ones that you like. And then subscribe to this YouTube channel. Yeah. And if you really love it all, like we do, uh, you, can we do. Just, you can just subscribe to the 6035 Podcast Network podcast, which is a conglomeration of all the episodes, all the brilliance and humor that emanates from the studio. Absolutely. And there's a lot of it. So like and subscribe today and go listen to them all or watch them. What he said. Good. Thanks. Got it? That wasn't so painful.